The following podcast is brought to you by the Village Zendo. For more information, visit villagezendo.org. Thank you, Bankashu. Uh, for those of you I haven't met, my name is Fusho. I'm an assistant teacher here at Village Zendo. Um, it's so nice to see everybody online. Thank you for tuning in. And for those of you listening, hello. Um, I'm particularly happy to be able to be here in the Zendo giving a talk. It's been my, it's the first time since the before times for me. Um, I know we've had some, plenty of them here, but I haven't, I haven't done it yet. So I'm excited <laughs> to be live and in person. Um, yeah, it's really nice. Nice to see everybody. I've lately been traveling um, back and forth to Colorado a bit. I grew up in Colorado and uh, my partner, oh, that sounds better. My partner um, is also from Colorado. So uh, both family, we have family there and there's been a lot of events happening, um, good and bad. So both sides of the family. Um, unfortunately, I was just back in Denver um, for a funeral and to sit Shiva uh, with family members uh, because a dear aunt of mine passed away. Um, we're chanting her name and she, her name's on the altar and I'm very grateful for that. She was a, a very special person. Uh, when I was growing up, how's that? All right. Um, she just really helped me at a time when we, when we, my sister and I really needed it. So <clears throat> I spoke at her funeral and then we spent a couple of days with family. Um, it's, it's the Jewish tradition of, sitting Shiva where we really just take time out to honor um, the loved one that we've lost and to be with family and friends and, and remember that person. Um, and then I went to go see another aunt on my dad's side, on the other side of the family, who's also getting much older and um, is not well. And uh, just really declining quite rapidly and has lost a lot of uh, cognitive function. So I was in town, so I went to see her and sit with her, which was quite hard. She didn't recognize me. Um, and then I have a dear friend that I grew up with who still lives there uh, in the area, and she just lost her brother. Her brother was older, but it was very unexpected. So, uh, so I went to that memorial. This was all about the course of about four days, four or five days. Um, so, you know, a lot of bearing witness and attending and, and coming face to face with old age, sickness and death. Um, and I've just been thinking a lot about, obviously, grief, um, but also, you know, um, our emotions and being human and, and how those emotions can flow or, and ebb or, or sometimes how we can get in the way of allowing them 
to flow. Um, you know, there's the people that are going through it or that have died. And then obviously there's the people who care about them or are also suffering and, and um, trying to support, but I have, have the same challenges of losing somebody. And ultimately the, these are, you know, events that happen to all of us in different ways at some point in our life. So one of the things that I was thinking about and that I noticed during all of these different visitations and memorials was how it's a very human um, response to try to hold back, to try to suppress um, the grief sometimes or the emotion that we're feeling. Um, I think our culture is still not very good at, at that and at um, supporting each other uh, during times of intense emotion. I think somehow it can be common to grow up feeling like we're not supposed to show how we're feeling, not supposed to let things be too emotional. Um, we're supposed to hold it together, be strong, you know, not, not go over the top. And even, even at memorials, I found that people were feeling this way or, or if they were crying, they were sometimes apologizing, you know, Oh, sorry for crying. We're, quite often we're, we're apologizing that we're having this human emotion and tears are running down our face. I don't know what, why that is. I'm not sure. I hope, hope we can just get a little better at, at um, supporting each other and allowing these emotions to flow. I think um, thanks to my practice, I was able to see that some of the suffering of those around me was due in large part to this idea that um, of resistance, that, we sh that it shouldn't be this way, that we shouldn't feel this way. You know, um, life isn't supposed to be like this. And so I think a lot of the pain comes from this resistance or inability to allow what's happening to, to flow and to be happening. Um, but I do think our practice can help us be present as the reality of our lives unfolds in front of us. And we can become aware of the freedom that we have to respond emotionally to what's happening in our life in a way that's uh, helpful. You know, um, I've talked a little bit about this but I, I, before, but I was really fairly young when, when my mom died, um, 19 or so. But I, I just, not that you can be prepared, but I was really unprepared. And I didn't know how to ask for support. Um, and I felt completely overwhelmed. And I didn't feel that I could possibly have the ability to allow myself to feel this grief and, and survive it. I was quite sure it was just too much to take. Um, so I, I detached I would say from my emotions by throwing myself into work and uh, by drinking very heavily at the same time, almost as a way to try to cover up, I don't know, to assuage it um, instead of, instead of really processing it and just allowing myself to grieve. Uh, but I didn't have a practice back then. I didn't know that I could support myself with a practice like this. 
And I'm really grateful to have this practice now. You know, um, our beginning instruction is, is, is really about uh, following the breath and then becoming aware and acknowledging uh, what's going on in the mind and the body. So, you know, the basics are follow the breath and then allow the thoughts to happen. Notice, acknowledge without the judgment. Important part, I think, is the acknowledging without that resistance, which can easily come up and then come back to the breath, right? So come back to where we are. But um, it's an easy, easy thing to avoid that acknowledgement part. I'm not sure why, but we don't want to feel that uncomfortable uh, emotion, that discomfort, that's something we're not trained to do. I would say, or supported in doing. But I think it's the same when we're feeling very strong emotions. I think they need to be acknowledged and allowed to flow. Um, there are a few koans, of course, that portray uh, a Zen master having very strong emotions. And there are plenty of reminders uh, not to slip too far into the other side of, of disattachment, you know, non-attachment and sort of just this idea that everything's empty, so we shouldn't be uh, too emotional. And I've been revisiting the book, The Hidden Lamp, recently. Um, for those of you that haven't read it, it's a book of koans and stories about Zen women. And we read it and studied it uh, quite a few years ago, uh, six years ago, to be precise. But if you haven't read it, or if it's been a while, I just really have enjoyed coming back to it, stories about these Zen women and a reminder that um, awakened practitioners and Zen masters throughout history were not, in fact, all men. Um, so they have a hundred different stories and then a different female Zen teacher was asked to do commentary for each of them, including both of our Roshis, uh, Enkyo Roshi and Joshin. They have some responses in there, which are lovely. Um, you know, even if we're not studying, if your practice is not to study koans, this is just a nice reminder that when you're listening to stories about all these monks and Zen masters, um, they weren't all men. And so we can easily, I want to encourage you easily to change the wording for yourself, which is what I did. If it's he, I would change it to she or a person. You could change it to person or they or them, whichever one is most relevant to you. I would encourage you to um, just go ahead and take that liberty. Uh, but luckily, our tradition has Dogen and Hakuin, and they are both known to have had female students. And Dogen embraced um, the worldview that all beings are destined for Buddhahood, and it doesn't matter including plants and animals and males and females. It doesn't matter who or what. And he apparently was very egalitarian. And he was convinced that male and female, the noble and the lowly, everyone can understand and embody the Buddha's teaching. And in one of his sermons, he famously declared, what is so precious about being born a male? Space is space. Four elements are four elements. Five skandhas are five skandhas. The distinction between men and women is also thus. 
both genders attain awakening. What you should pay respect to is the person who attains awakening. Whether this person is male or female is beside the point. And Hakuin doesn't have anything that great to quote, but he is known um, for a community that grew up around him that accepted women very readily. And his most famous female student is Satsujo. <clears throat> so she's in one of these koans that I was looking at in the hidden lamp and I've been thinking about. <clears throat> There's two of them, but the first one, um, she's in it. And it goes like this. <clears throat> when Satsujo, a great disciple of Hakuin, was old, she lost her granddaughter, and it grieved her very much. And an old man from the neighborhood came and admonished her. He said, why are you wailing so much? If people hear this, they'll all say, the old lady once studied with Hakuin and was enlightened. So now why is she mourning her granddaughter so much? You ought to lighten up a bit. Sounds so contemporary. You ought to lighten up a bit. Don't be so dramatic or emotional. The Satsujo glared at her neighbor and said, you bald-headed fool, what do you know? My tears and weeping are better for my granddaughter than incense, flowers, and lamps. And the old man left without a word. So it's important, I think, to discern for ourselves how to naturally express ourselves when our feelings are bubbling up. And of course, there is an extreme, the opposite of, of holding them down too tightly is sort of this uncontrollable explosion that controls us where it doesn't allow us to see anything but that and that we are holding on to extremely tight to. Um, that can then you know, be this burst of emotion that is unhelpful. So I think those are two sides, two extremes uh, that we can be aware of. And this practice is obviously um, the middle way. So we're looking for some balance in there. You could say that Satsujo was saying, my tears remember every child who has died, you know, or I'm feeling the grief that everybody feels at some point in our lives. And she concludes by pointing out, this is me at this moment, unapologetically. And in our practice, we say, um, we, work on, we work with moment to moment, nonstop flow. But if we're disassociating or we're disconnected or we're tamping down some strong feeling, that needs to be expressed, then things definitely can't flow and can come out in an unhealthy way. And we all know that it can affect our bodies in unhealthy ways as well. And that just adds suffering to our suffering. So there's another koan in the hidden lamp that I was reading that I think says uh, a bit about this in a different way, um, not about grief, but it's called the old woman burns down the hermitage. So there was an old woman who was supporting a hermit 
and uh, he studied for 20 years and she waited on him hand and foot. And she had a young woman, some say was her niece, um, some say was her daughter, but the point was it was a beautiful young woman uh, who waited on him and brought him food and everything every day. And finally, the old woman decided she wanted to check and see what he had learned, what this hermit studying and studying had attained and what his enlightenment was all about. So she sent the young woman to go bring uh, the meal. But this time she said, give him a hug, you know, give him a tight hug and see what he says and how he responds, see how he responds about that and ask him, what do you feel? So she did as the old woman asked and the hermit responded, an old withered tree on a cold cliff, midwinter, no warmth. And the girl went back and told this to the woman and the girl thought, oh, that's pretty good. <laughs> Very rigid and like strict response. And the woman exclaimed, for 20 years, I've supported this vulgar good for nothing. She threw the monk out, apparently started beating him first and burned down the hermitage. So if we want to get too literal, we could get a, a trouble path around sexuality, I think. But it's a great metaphor, this burning down the hermitage and saying, what have you been doing all this time? You know, where are you? Who are you? It's a little bit, it reminds me a little bit of um, killing the Buddha, I would say. You know, she, <clears throat> she's saying, hello, are you awake? Do you have feelings? Of course, we need to encounter all creations with respect and dignity. And letting yourself indulge and behave recklessly is not the opposite of this feeling. But it's important to know um, <clears throat> this idea of non-attachment can be very greatly misinterpreted. There's a commentary from Korean Zen master Soon Sung regarding this old woman who burned down the hermitage. He says, this monk sat for 20 years. What was his role? If you're holding something and attached to something, then you lose your original role. Put it all down. Then your original role in your correct situation, correct relationship, and correct function will appear clearly. And I like what our contemporary Soto Zen teacher, Zen K. Blanche Hartman, um, wrote in the, in, the, in the book for her commentary on, on this koan. She said that having a few desires doesn't mean suppressing our humanness. Instead of shutting us down, we should develop through Zazen practice more gratitude, more appreciation, and aliveness for life. Zen's expression is not a withering of our perceptions, but a movement towards a deeper appreciation of life. And she wrote that the practice is not about suppressing desire or destroying our humanity, but about allowing it to flow out to everything rather than to one particular object. Uh, her teacher, Shinryu Suzuki, said, without any intentional fancy way of adjusting yourself, to express yourself freely as you are is the most important thing to make yourself happy. 
and to make others happy. You will acquire this kind of ability by practicing zazen. Zen is not some fancy special art of living. Our teaching is just to live, always in reality, in its exact sense, to make our effort moment after moment is our way. And I'm going to close with uh, someone who I regard as a Zen teacher, and I think many of us do, um, the poet Mary Oliver, with a poem uh, that's called Messenger. My work is loving the world. Here are the sunflowers, there the hummingbird, equal seekers of sweetness. Here the quickening yeast, there the blue plums. Here the clam deep in the speckled sand. Are my boots old? Is my coat torn? Am I no longer young and still not half perfect? Let me keep my mind on what matters which is my work, which is mostly standing still and learning to be astonished. The Phoebe, the Delphinium, the sheep in the pasture and the pasture, which is mostly rejoicing since all the ingredients are here, which is gratitude to be given a mind and a heart and these body clothes, a mouth which, with which to give shouts of joy to the moth and the wren to the sleepy dug up clam, telling them all over and over how it is that we live forever. <laughs>